All right. Romans eight twelve through 17. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting uh, to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that way we may also be glorified with him. Thank you, Josh. Well, good morning. Um, yeah, before we get to this, uh, this passage, which is loaded... Um, I just want to remind you guys, uh, it was uh, two weeks ago that we talked about, and I presented before you guys, the elders have been talking weekly, uh, and we've been interacting for a period of like two months now with an individual that will be replacing Lisa, um, and he is coming next week. Um, and so those of you who are on the media team and the worship team, just a reminder for you guys that you have some obligations this this week. Um, but for you guys, uh, this is an opportunity for us to get to know him, uh, for him to get to know us. Greg and Katie, I know you guys will enjoy. I pray that uh, we'd be blessed by their fellowship this next week. And we look forward to what God will accomplish in Brandon and Lisa's life. And we're thankful for the ministry they've laid here at Reliance. I am. She doesn't believe me when I say those words. Um, I give her a hard time, but that, uh, that's, that's, I have a sister that looks and acts similar to you, and so that's just the older brother in me, I suppose. Um, but we look forward to what God's going to do with your lives, and so I would encourage you guys next week to look forward to meeting Greg and Katie and his family. With that said, uh, I pray that you would pray with me. I just want to give you a heads up. Um, I'm told in my culture today that uh, if you present too much scripture, that the audience will become disconnected, and we become mentally lazy in cherishing the truths of God's word. So I want to gird your mind now. I'm going to be, and for those of you at home, be addressing a lot of text today. And to do that, I feel like when I talk about the phrase, child of God, or sons of God, or being an heir of God, we have not properly filled in what that even possibly means. And so to address that uh, today, I would like to, in as much time as I have this morning, attempt to fill in that void that often doesn't get addressed, and hopefully help us cherish what Paul has now labored to reveal to us in this incredible passage. So with that in mind, with our minds ready to wander through the Scriptures, I pray that you would um, ask that God would prepare our minds to receive it and enjoy it. Lord, I thank you for the grace that you give us. Be called sons of God, children of God. Be called ones who were once children of 
the devil and wanderers, those who purposely pursued a different father. By your son, by your grace, you demonstrated your love towards us and you ransomed us. Paying the, per, the, prop, the, the, the means, providing the means by which would allow the adoption to take place on the basis of faith. And Lord, I recognize that I am still growing to appreciate the inheritance that now is set aside for those in Christ, Lord. But Lord, I pray you would remind us of such things in a world that offers many things. Especially in our culture where prosperity is so attractive. Where we think that we can arrive at it and compete with what you have to offer, Lord. I pray that we would recognize the vast difference the world offers in light of your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So to be fair, I have received my ethnic identity, my present American citizenship, my social economic opportunities, and even my inherent physical characteristics from my biological parents. And whatever advantage or disadvantage they might bring me, according to God's great mercy, all these things are trivial when I have the opportunity to call God Father. There are terms which are used within the Scripture that should be preloaded in the mind of the reader so that when they read the terms, the phrases pop in your mind. For example, when my wife says, Jacob, would you like to go to the restaurant tonight? If the term restaurant is preloaded with information, it will totally change the way that I prepare for that evening. If it's preloaded with McDonald's, it's going to change my anticipation for that dinner that evening. However, if it's Anthony's, that's going to totally change the way that I might even eat lunch. In that, I might even skip lunch to set aside more calorie intake for that blueberry... No, no, no. Excuse me. Huckleberry, whatever that thing is. Huckleberry dish. It's fantastic. But a term, when it's preloaded with information, has the ability to change the way that I, what I wear, what I do during that day, and how I uh, even address the table as I get ready to hit the table at that restaurant. But this goes for all things. When, when we ask, somebody asks me, would you like a pop? In your mind, that's preloaded because you have your favorite beverage. You come to my house, you have Pepsi. At your house, you might have Coke, which I don't understand. <laughs> Down south, Coke, the term is preloaded to mean all sodas. I remember going down in Texas and they said, would you like a Coke? And I was being gracious and, and hospitable and said, yes. And they stood and stared at me and I thought to myself, where's the Coke? And they were waiting for me to preload that term with what type of Coke? Because Coke doesn't mean Coke. Coke means pop. Coffee. Reunion. Now, if you tell me, hey, you want to go to a family reunion, that preloads 
my mind for excitement for what I might experience. But if you say high school reunion, I could care less. So a term is preloaded with information. And when that term is preloaded with information, it will either create a dissatisfaction for what you might experience or an excitement. When Paul addresses the church in Rome, he's using terms that are preloaded with information that you as a reader should anticipate and enjoy when they're said. Unfortunately, we've become a people over the last 50 years that no longer read our Bibles in depth. We're dependent upon pericopes Sunday by Sunday to fill our understanding of the Scripture that we ultimately don't get to the point of understanding when he says, if children, heirs, that we understand what he means when he says, you have an inheritance. An incredible disadvantage is happening in my own generation. That the, the void of the term heir or inheritance has been left so void, so left undefined, that people will actually say, you can have your inheritance now. And so as we now act as in American culture, the prodigal son asking their father for their inheritance immediately. Paul addresses the Christian audience to acknowledge their identity. But what I'd like to do is to look at that inheritance. Because when we follow Christ, there is a benefit, a reception of which we experience as a result of who He is. It was Peter, after he watched the rich young ruler come to Christ, and the rich young ruler said, I followed the law, I followed everything, I've become incredibly prosperous. And Jesus says to him, sell everything you have and come and follow me. And then you'll have everything. The rich young ruler, unaware of the total inheritance that Christ has to offer this individual, walks away sad and grieved because he is too tied to his inheritance or his present prosperity that he's unwilling because he, there's not this filling up of his mind of what Christ has to offer him. Peter, watching this young man walk away, in Matthew 19, verses 27, he said, Behold, we have, he says this to Jesus, Behold, we have left everything, jobs, family, security, we have left everything and we have followed you. And he asks the essential question that we ought for ourselves come to realize it, because Paul's going to promote this idea. And Paul, what is it that is there for us? Unfortunately, we have dealt with the gospel in such a way that it merely only means escaping the wrath of God, which is clearly true. This is what Paul has labored on in the early, early parts of Romans. But he has moved past that. He has said now that there is no, in chapter Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And now the Spirit of God dwells within you. Where the Spirit did not once dwell, now dwells. And now you have freedom, which guides your mortal bodies in life, how to pursue righteousness righteousness, and honoring Him in all things. And yet, He's not done even now. Not just merely to escape the, gospel, or the, the wrath of God, but the good news is, is that The Holy Spirit will guide you, but now He moves to even a much more grander view. You're sons of God. And you are heirs with Christ. So now with that set before us, I want to preload that reality in our mind. 
And in order to do that, I have to go through a lot of Scripture. But before we do this, let's just look at our new identity, point one. One, our identity now, as Paul has labored to put before us as the readers, is this. We are sons of God. Look at verse 14. For all of you, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, this is assuming that now you have put your hope and faith in Christ Jesus, that the redeeming work, the gift of the Holy Spirit, has now taken place in one's mind and life. For all who are being led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. I have a pet peeve here. Some of you might be reading the NIV. Uh, that's fine. But some of your translations are going to be read, at read, children of God. And the, to be fair, I think that is overreaching and unnecessary. And Paul uses the term son of God for a reason. Let me explain. But before I explain, just solidify this reality. We live in a society which believes that by mere birth, we're entitled sonship. We'll hear phrases like, everyone is a child of God. But yet, Scripture has not declared this. Just so you, we are all reminded, we're all under sin, as Paul will later say in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 and 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Jesus, he rebukes the Pharisees in John chapter 8, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the very beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. One more, 1 John 3.10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. What's my point? There's two families. And this is what the gospel portrays to those of us who hope in Christ. There has been... A transferring of one family to another family by means of, which we'll see here in a bit, of adoption. And so it is unhelpful to apply to everyone within the world just because they have been born and they are a creature, a creation of God, that somehow now they are children of God. Scripture does not say that nor promise that. When you hear the phrase, son of God, that is a position of identity. And this is a result of what Christ has done, and as a result of what Christ has done, by the means of faith, you are now in this new identity. We do not get to apply this to those who are sons of ones who follow Satan. As we recognize, as, as abrupt as that might be for those to understand this, this is the reality which faces us and all of us. You act like your father. This is what Paul goes on to labor, verse 14 and 15. For all of you, being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, which is what you once were under that father. When you were under, under the devil, you had a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You feared death, you feared being your insecurity, you feared many things. But you have now received a spirit of adoption. As sons, 
Not children, sons. So Paul is picking terms here, and these terms are important. Sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, now I know women, it might be initially difficult to appreciate that Paul is addressing sons. In a society which wants equality for, uh, for genders, I understand that the issues here, that might, this might sound abrupt, but I will, uh, how do I say this? I would encourage you that you want it to be sons of God. Here's what I mean. This is what Paul is p- picking up on. And this Roman Greco society historically, not just a Roman Greco society, the inheritance of a father's resources was inherited or given to a son. And Paul says, look at verse 14, for all. Okay? For all, which includes men, women, children. And this profound reality, it doesn't matter who you are, those in which the Spirit of God dwells, you are sons of God and have now been positioned in the first seat of inheritance. And a society which would only give it to the son or the elder sons, now Paul says, all who are where the Spirit dwells now get this title of sons of God. Now, to be fair, men, where Paul says sons of God here, we have to be familiar with, we get called the bride of Christ. Right? And there is an issue which Paul is trying to address in that category. But Paul does use both. But culturally... If you were a daughter, if you were a slave, if you were a servant, to be called son was an incredible privilege for it gave you the resources of the father. And so this is why you want it to say sons of God, not children of God, because sons of God means, look at verse 17, heir, inheritance. This is yours. It doesn't matter who you are, male, child, female. And this is why Paul will say in Galatians, here, here, here he's much more specific, right? In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 28, for you are all sons of God. I get frustrated. It's called it's my pet peeve. It's my pet peeve. Now it's going to be yours. But some of your translations will translate chi- that son as child. And it rips out the inheritance reality that Paul is addressing to the culture. A few moments of clarification, we recognize that Paul is even presenting a high view for those who are all in Christ. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ and has clothed yourselves with Christ. So as a result of this, Paul then can make this declaration profound. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For all of you, all, are one in Christ Jesus. And as a result of this, we all have a privileged position when we can call God Father because all of us in our identity are sons. Receiving the full inheritance which has been granted to Christ. And so this is our identity. This, this is what John 
Peter and Paul. It blew their minds away. You can see this in 1 John 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. Some of yours would say, Behold, like, can you comprehend that you can be an oppressed or a slave or a servant? You are now put in the position of inheritance. That we would be called children of God. Such we are. And so this reality, when Paul says this, is comforting for the entire church, whatever blessings they might have or challenges they might face. In Christ, we all have an equal standing. As a result of this, look what happened. For all of you being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. In 2019, as many of you know, we sat before a judge, and Beth and I had three little girls that sat next to us. And the judge, I found it interesting, the judge and the lawyer who was overseeing the whole process looked at us and asked us, Will you include these children who are not your children, as yet, whom you've treated as your children, as a part of your inheritance? And at that moment, I thought, that's crazy. I didn't think of that. What were they trying to communicate? What they were trying to communicate is that whatever, when the, the hammer falls and the last name of the, the girls moves to Morris, that that individual, those three individuals, were going to be our responsibility and where we funnel the resources of our inheritance to them. Now, we can all acknowledge the benefit of adoption. This is why we love adoption and we recognize that orphanage serve a purpose, but it's better to be in a family. But even in light of adoption, there can be a benefit and an incredible disadvantage. And the disadvantage or the benefit is determined on the individual who is adopting. Right? As of right now, the benefit that my family would have if you're adopted in my family, is determined on my past and, uh, success and my future success. If, however, I become someone who becomes a curse to society, they themselves would bear some of that weight as well. And so this reality, you have been adopted into the family of God. And we know the hysterical character of who God is. And do not have to fear that He is some we're down the road going to become evil. Or somewhere down the road, we'll say he doesn't care for his children. No, the, we know the eternal character of God. And so that when we become sons of God, not only do we get the inheritance of God, but you could take that to the bank. Because when he says his promises, he's faithful to keep them. And so, with great resource, he lifts before the reader our new identity. And while we know adoption grants the full rights and privilege of sonship in the family, we recognize the, the closeness that it now provides and that we get to call God Abba Father. When I was a child, I knew other fathers, right? I knew Mr. Arnold, I knew Mr. Ben Gerpen, but I didn't call them father. What did I call them? Mr. Ben Gerpen and Mr. Arnold, why? Because they're not my father. 
when we go before God in the means by the Spirit, the Spirit has testified with our spirit that we are children of God. And when that event happens, this is why Christ encourages his disciples to say, Our Father in heaven. And we can go before in proximity and know the closeness that we are not speaking to this vague idea in the clouds who is God, but there is a closeness in recognizing that our Father hears our prayers. You remember, Jesus taught this way. Which to his children, if he asked for bread, would give him a stone? Right? Which he asked for a gift, and he goes contrary to his children's request. There is something that we know that our Father knows what's best for us, and he's not left us as orphans. He's given us the Spirit, which testifies with us that we are his. Okay, so that's our identity. Point two. Point two is in this. He now then turns verse 17 to address, if you are children, heirs. And this is where we have to preload this information. What in the world does this even mean? What is our inheritance? For when we come to realize what our inheritance is, then this will help you to face the situations in the world ahead of you. Look at what he says in verse 17. If you are children, Heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And then he puts this in there. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Now what would possibly motivate an individual to follow Christ when they're suffering down the road? And the reality is this. When a Christian understands their inheritance, What's set aside for them? We ought to recognize we'll do anything for it. And so, as I pre-warned you in the very beginning, I want to take you through what do the Scriptures say is yours? What is set aside for you? And Peter, he puts this before us in his letter. He talks about the inheritance. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again. This is adoption language. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, and is reserved for you in heaven. Those are preloaded terms. And as a result of this, The readers of the Jewish community, when they read his letter, were excited, which is protected by the power of God through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Paul, Peter, James, they talk about this kingdom ahead, which is going to be realized in Christ. It's imperishable, it's undefined, it's undefiled, it's everlasting, it's reserved, it's protected. And this is what Peter's, he's following Jesus for those three years, and he says, Jesus, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And I could imagine many Christians have asked the same question. What is in there for us? We have, it was like, answering the current situations I'm facing, challenges that I'm going through, what in the world is it? What have you set aside for me? Peter asks this with a context. Like when Jesus comes in on, on the donkey in Matthew 21, 9, when the crowds were going ahead of him and those who were following him, they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest because there was preloaded information behind that. Because they believed Jesus was about to do something. Jesus ends up paying for our sins, but they thought he was going to do something else. Israel had received promises. And these promises were ones that they were very familiar about. In fact, when Peter witnesses the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he's conquered the grave, you remember in Acts, one of his first questions, Acts chapter 1, verse 6, when they had come together, they, they were asking him, disciples a whole, excuse me, not just Peter, they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time you are storing the kingdom of Israel? Is it now that we will inherit our inheritance? Jesus goes on to say, you don't know the time or the hour which I'm going to accomplish and set those things in motion. And so when Peter says, behold, we have left everything and followed you, what then will there be for us? There's this, there's, when are you going to fulfill the promises that you've given to us? And so today, buckle down, and I want to just unload what the scriptures teach us is yours as an inheritance. One, there's a kingdom to come in which God will reign physically on the world with you. Old Testament prophets would preach. Jeremiah 23, 5-6. Behold, there are days coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king, and act wisely, and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. We understand that Christ paid for sins, but some things have yet not been accomplished. This is what the, Peter said and asked and then this is with the disciples. Is it been now that you are now going to establish this promise? Will you reign? Jesus says it's not for you to know the time or the hour. And yet, as sons of God, Israel was called sons of God, but Paul has now just expanded that view where the Spirit of God dwells. All are now going to receive that inheritance. And so that when we read Isaiah, I'm just going to turn my Bible there. Chapter 2, there is a kingdom on which the king reigns, which ought to be so beautiful to you, you can forsake the kingdoms and what they might promise you today for the promise of what the kingdom is to come in the future. Because Isaiah preached in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. They'll lay out a whole bunch of passages. My only hope is, is that you can pay attention and delight in what God is promising you as sons of God. The word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, was saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountain. And it will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. There will be a place in which God dwells. And where He dwells, it will be raised up above every other hill, and all the nations will stream to it. What a promise. The Jews thought it was just them. But Isaiah, in the very beginning, says it's not just you. There's going to be people not just Jewish, that are going to go worship God, the Lord. You're a part of that promise, which is being revealed in Romans chapter 8. 
verse 3, and many people will come and say, come, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, that we may walk in his paths. The law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 4, what a promise. And he will judge between the nations. No longer will you need a mediator. He will be the mediator. But he will be the righteous Lord. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And it will be so wonderful and so good that they will hammer their swords into plowshares. We won't need the spears anymore. Then they will take their spears and make them into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. We have seen wisdom before, in which we can see world leaders act in such a way to cause war to be dissolved. We remember Solomon, the rare, weird situation where two mothers claimed the right of one child. And Solomon, in his wisdom, he said, well, cut the child in half. Give one to the one and the other to the other. And the mother cries out, no, keep the child as one because the child is a child when it has life. And Solomon, in his wisdom, said, that's the mother. There is wisdom. We have perceived it. But there is a promise of a kingdom that's everlasting, which is physically on earth, where this king will dissolve the conflict among the nations. And this is your inheritance for those who are children of God. It was James and John. You remember this? James and John, the disciples, had this preloaded information, right? James and John, you remember his mom. He comes up to Jesus and says, hey, can I ask you a question? Can I ask you anything that I want? And Jesus says, go ahead, ask. And she asks this question. Look at verses Matthew 20, 21. And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom, my two sons, these two sons of mine, James and John, may sit on one on your right and one on your left. Why does she ask this question? Well, it's preloaded with this idea that there's an inheritance when the king comes. And she wants for her sons what? Privilege, position. And the result of this, she asks the question. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Paul says, the Spirit of God dwells, you are sons of God. These promises not were just given to James and John, but for where those who have hoped in Christ. You will participate in a kingdom that's everlasting and which enjoys between the nations peace. That's just not it. We could go on, Isaiah chapter 11. Look over there. We could die. Oh, where do we want to start? Why not? Let's, let's start at uh, verse 1. Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, promised Davidic king, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Verse 3, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees, as I sees, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. Remember Jesus? We saw a taste of this. The Pharisees are merely thinking something. And Jesus answers their, their thoughts. They were dressed nicely and he calls them whitewashed tombs. How is Christ able to do that? Because the Spirit of God is within him. 
but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness will be the belt about his waist. There's this promise of this king. When he comes, righteousness will be established through him for the oppressed and for those who hope in him. But more than that, look at this, verse 6. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child, this is crazy. The nursing child, little baby, will play by the hole of a cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. If you did that today, CPS is calling you. But there is this kingdom to come when the, when the king reigns. Not only will he create peace with the nations, but peace with creation. And you are sons of that inheritance, heirs where the Spirit of God dwells in Christ. Could you imagine little girls running with rattlesnakes in their hands and not getting bit? My sister, an odd, she loves snakes. We had gardener snakes, so that was all right. But she would, but it didn't matter. A cobra. There's supposed to be harmony with humanity and creation. Yet when the king comes, he will establish this. This is those who inherit it in Christ. There, verse 9, they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Verse 10. Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. He will stand as a signal for the peoples and his resting places will be. Glorious. I long for that day. Like when, if you are a child of God, if you're a son of God, this should stir within you. Oh man, I hope for it. There's something that should cause great grief for those who are in Christ. When you hear of, I was just a year ago, a guy just riding his bike in the mountains and a cougar comes out. We're not there yet. Or just be just running down Badger Mountain and it's a child or a dog or whatnot. We're not there yet. While we have the promise, we don't taste it yet in full. And yet there's this kingdom that's being described. What, what do you have to offer us, Jesus? We've left everything for you. What's in there for us? Peter, I read the Old Testament. Isaiah 25. Talk about a feast. This is not a reunion. This is a feast. And when the feast comes, this is the, I guess maybe the reunion you want to be a part of. And verse 6, the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all the peoples on this mountain, Jerusalem. 
Baptists, we have a problem here. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. Isaiah, why did you put it in there twice? Good, good wine. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering which is over all the peoples, the cloud which has caused the nations to be wretched and to, to love sin that will be lifted, even the veil which is stretched over, over all the nations. And that king, he will swallow up death. He will swallow up death for all time. The Lord God Father will wipe tears away from all faces and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken and it will be said in that day, behold, this is our, behold, this is our God whom we have waited. Children of God recognize we're waiting. We have received the promise of inheritance, but it has not been realized And we've waited. This is the Lord whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Could you imagine a kingdom where death is gone? Not in the very fabrics of the society which causes fear and division. Isaiah 32, 1 and 2. Behold, Here's a crazy promise. Behold, a king will reign righteously and princes. Who are they? Sons of God. Will rule justly with them. Each will be like a refuge from the wind and a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry country, country like the shade of a huge rock and parched land. You imagine being a people who reign with the king, which is a blessing world around what what do you have in it for us jesus we left everything for you not in this life in the one to come could read isaiah 35 in which the deserts are replenished with life I could read the promises to those who are blind your eyes will be open i could read with a lame you'll you'll leap like deer Scorched land will become like a pool of water. Badger Mountain will have trees on it. God's sense of humor, he'll put a tree on it. One. Zechariah 14.9 The Lord will be king over all the earth. He won't need kings. He'll just have a king. And in that day, the Lord will be the only one, and his name, only one. Man. And how has Satan clouded our society in saying there are many ways to God? And there's many names that make promises. But in the day to come, there will be no confusion on who is king. I skipped this one. Let me go back to it. Isaiah 9. I think this is good for... Oh, I did read it. I did read it. (laughs) It talks about the same idea. The government will rest on his shoulders. 
And we live in a society, American society, where does the government rest? On we the people. We can acknowledge that our shoulders can't bear it. Christ will be able to bear it for eternity. And when he does, look at Isaiah 65. Clearly, I favor Isaiah when it comes to understanding the inheritance. You can go elsewhere. 65 verse 17. Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things which will not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem and her people for gladness. And I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will be no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sounds of crying. Why? Because it's perfect. Sons of God understand what's set aside for them. It's not this kingdom presently that has anything to offer of eternal value. This is why Christ will say, store up your treasures in heaven. In the kingdom, it's preloaded information. So don't worry about creating tons of back resources so as to help you in this life. Just get rid of it and use it to the fullest advantage that you have in this season, but live for the next. Verse 24, he continues, and it will come a pass. This is crazy. It's all, it's all good, but it will come up as the king that before they call, I will answer. Talk about answering up a prayer before it's even asked. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will graze together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and the dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. But when, when Peter says... What will you have to offer? And Jesus says, well, just let me expand this for you. I'm the fulfillment of this, but it's just not the Jews that are going to inherit this. It's the Gentiles, it's slaves, servants, it's women, it's men, it's children. This is their promise. It's of first quality for all who receive me. It's done. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, as he answers Peter's question, What is in it for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, something to come, not present, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, now we've preloaded information when the King reigns, you shall sit on twelve thrones. Princes. Judging the twelve tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers, Sisters, father, or mother, or children, or farms, for my name's sake, knows what the inheritance is set ahead for them, will receive many times as much, and will inherit eternal life. When Paul says in Romans 8, if children, heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, he's thinking of the inheritance which is offered Christ. 
So often, I have one more section that I'd like to read. But so often, Christians think that we can demand from our Father, like the prodigal son, our inheritance now. Paul doesn't do that. We suffer now. This present season, if indeed we suffer. And through that we recognize, okay, this is a season that we're living in. We're not going to get everything that we want in our heart's desire. But we will get those things that we desire fulfilled. In Christ in His kingdom. Couldn't go through this and leave Revelation alone. So, here's your inheritance. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Praise God. And there is no longer any seas. Nothing separating humanity from humanity. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Coming out down out of the heavens from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. We will have the Spirit of God dwell in us, and God dwell with us. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And here is an incredible promise. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Verse 10. And he carried me away, carried me away in the spirit to great and high mountains. He showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like the very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. And the pebbles that men search for today are going to be the, the walls in which the stones of which Jerusalem are made of. Verse 22-27. And I saw no temple in it, the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it. And its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, as gates will never be closed. Regular access to God. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Not just Jews, Gentiles as well. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abominations and lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written on the Lamb's book of life. One more. And we'll sum this up. Thank you for your attention. Then he showed me a river of water of life. Clear as crystal. Just wall them skier. This, this is your your party. But coming forth from that river, from the throne of God and of the Lamb, 
And in the middle of its streets, on either, either side of the river, was the tree of life, between bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Could you imagine? Like, we would work all year round on the strawberry farm for one, one crop. The trees in the kingdom, they, one in a month. And then each month, it changes. Oh, it's mangoes this month. It's oranges next month. The kingdom of God has the trees are prosperous. And there will be no longer any curse. And the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And His bondservants will serve Him. And they will see His face. And His name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no longer any night. There will not have no need of, of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them. And they will reign. Forever. This is your inheritance. When Paul says, where the Spirit of God dwells, these are sons of God. This promise was not just given to men, to you women, you children. And when you hope in Christ, you inherit this future reward. But point three that I have no time for. I knew that. We recognize the season that we live. It's not perfect. Nor is the church. But we recognize that in the season that we live, we ought to recognize what's set aside for us. One of the reasons, I was just contemplating this, what Adam and I did moving from Texas to church plant or what Brandon and Lisa are doing to go overseas, international missions. Why would anybody do that? Why would you give up your time to serve here locally? Why would you do that? The the natural man recognizes this reality. One life. That's it. And this is why Solomon admits, if there's no God, eat, be married, and live it up. The reality is, is when you ask the natural man to serve, it's a waste of their time. And they know it. Because they might make the society around them a little bit better, but really it's for them to have the joy of having a society that's a little better for them. For those of us who are in Christ, we serve knowing that we can use our time here presently because we have eternity set ahead of us. And the present time that we use the reason why we go into our societies to preach Christ is to offer to the world around us the invitation. This is why we want to partner with people who are reaching all sorts of different groups of people. The kingdom is not just for the church. It is the church, but there are those of God who is inviting into the church which you can be a part of. And as a result of this, it doesn't matter if you're black, white, Asian, I run out of countries to go through. But it's for the world. It's the nations who get to enjoy this. And so while Estonia is away across the world, you are offering to them the opportunity to be a part of this inheritance. And for those of us, I would recognize that your time being valuable, act as the one who has adopted you, who came not to be served, but to be served, to, but to serve. As a result of that, we have become sons of God. As a result of our time, we recognize the kingdom is not now, it's next. 
So let's live like Christ in the present. Suffering if need, glorify and enjoy what's ahead of us later. So with that in mind, we've done a lot of work. We've tried to preload that information in our minds. This is yours. So whatever you have to fight for for today, recognizing your loss, know that it'll be satisfied in the kingdom to come. And know that if you didn't have a great father now in this kingdom, you'll have one, you have one now, and you'll have one forever. If you recognize that, that we are sons of God together, we have a relationship together to spur on one another to use the time that we have wisely in light of our adoption. Let's pray. Lord, I think it is difficult. The time given, even a 90-year-old contemplates his new identity in Christ. How is it that we get such an inheritance? Not only do we get the inheritance of the kingdom to come, but we get an eternal relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that we would, as time recognizes, we face the limits of this own kingdom. And that it is unable to satisfy our desires. Lord, you will. And Lord, while we recognize that you will, Lord, I pray that we would use our time, whether it be in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, to offer up an invitation to the kingdom to come. For in that reality, and that is the only hope we have, that we could enjoy our greatest desires. And that is inheriting you and the kingdom to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.